uh, sorry, Michelle Lisa, correct? Yeah, it's Michelle Lisa. But there's it, multiples? That's so funny. There's a lot of Michelle Lisas, it, it turns out. Really? Yeah, and they a bunch of them got messages from me saying, hey, it's Javier. Is, is this the right Michelle? It's fine. Well, hopefully I wonder how many, how many people are going to react to that thinking that I'm just like some random creep. Um, yeah, well, still love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Welcome to okay. What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview through research and ask, what's my thesis? And my guest today is Michelle Lisa from Miami, photographer or artist? I can't quite tell. I've seen some um, textile stuff. So I call myself an artist, okay. an arts organizer, because my practice just ranges. I have a background in photography. I've employed photography in my work in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And then I also do a lot of arts administration and arts advocacy for artists. So um, there's just multiple sides to what I do, but they're all, they're all art things. Like Mm. for a while, my bio on like everything just said, I do art things. (laughs) (laughs) Nice catch all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I get it. But you do have like a, would you say you make objects or photographs? Are they documenting a specific thing? Is it a photojournalist style? You do portraits for sure, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything I do has a connection to me. Mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of series of work that I've done that are related to my life and my experiences. So I have one series called Dancing with Myself, which was a digital photography project where I photographed myself in different spaces I lived in. I have a series called If Home Was Home, which is a series of photographs that document trips back home to visit my family. In Haiti, right? I think yeah, I saw in that. Haiti. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, in Haiti. Um, and then I have another series of photography that I call Ellipse, which is just kind of a catch-all term for images of just like places and spaces around me. I do also commissioned portraits of people. Mm-hmm. I also have my degree in, from FIU is actually with a concentration in photography and fiber-based painting. So I also do textile work. Okay. And most recently, okay. I've been printing my photographs on fabric. And can, I tell you, can, can I tell you, who, uh, I know who you're working with, who you were working with in that program? Who's that? <laughs> P- Pip Brandt. Yes. Uh, I'm a, a FIU grad too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Pip was amazing as a professor and really... To you she was. I'm kidding. No, I mean, I'm not, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to bad, I'm, bad I'm mouth sure her. I'm sure you're... Paint, I mean, okay. I know Pip can be really intense. Yeah. And I came under her wing in a way that I think maybe... I don't know. I think I was just like this like kid who just wanted to play with things and like she yeah. let me do that. Um, yeah. And I say kid, I mean, I was 20, but you know what I mean? Like... You're a kid in 20. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like I've been doing like textile work again. Like I've been gone back to textile stuff. Uh-huh. Not that it's yeah. not that it looks anything like her work. Her work is very specific and uh, yours is very different. But just because I know who works with textiles in the program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's the only one. Yeah. yeah. I graduated in 2007. But oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a long, long time ago. But, I was 2014, so seven years after you. Yeah, okay, wow. So 
like I'm Cuban and you're Haitian, and I would say that we're like Vice City Miami. Like we we go back to like the '80s where they would even make us factions in a video game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you ever played totally, Vice City? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's a really funny way to yeah. say it. Yeah. And I think the third the third group would be the Jews in that video game, which is oh, like yeah. it's like hyper stereotyped groups of people. Yeah. And like how they function in the city, totally. Yeah. <laughs> like Haitians, we'd be Zopound, we'd be totally a gang, probably of some sort. <laughs> a super racist stereotypes, like super racist. And we were Coke dealers that yeah, were like, like you know. exactly. But and what, then they were go what's ahead. that? No, they would just like, throw us all into these weird categories and like it's like no one else exists in the city. Yeah. Like so weird. It's so but Nowadays, people are very insistent that it's a melting pot, but I didn't actually really feel like I had been to a melting pot until I moved to L.A. But it seems like there there is like it just seemed like a very Cuban city, despite what people might say, where Cuban was the majority as opposed to white people. Even white people were a little bit pushed out in particular in the city. Is that is that still the case or? I don't know. I think because I've been in Miami since 2011. I was born and raised in Palm Beach and I just had like family here that I would come visit. So I have definitely seen a more contemporary version of Miami. I mean, I've now been here for almost 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I do find that the cultural melting pot idea for most of the United States is like complete nonsense. Like it's not real. It's more like a salad, like some people say, where like a melting pot is the idea of melting pot. Like everything meshes together and we all like become part of each other. But really, it is a salad where, like, the tomatoes sit with the tomatoes, the lettuce sits with the lettuce, you know what I mean? And And if you mix it up too much, the tomatoes sink to the bottom. Yeah, like, it's very weird. It's, like, a very – and it's a lot of, like, erasure of certain things. And I think it's, like, they've made Cuban the default as white as the default in other cities. Mm -hmm. But if you experience Miami in a different way – If you're not Cuban. Or if you just live in a different neighborhood. Like, if you're a Cuban person who lives in Little Haiti – your experience is going to be completely different from a Cuban person who lives in like Kendall or Doral or Little Havana, you know? Yeah. Which I used to live in. Right. So the same can be said Except about for like. Doral. <laughs> yeah. Doral. I don't know if anyone wants to live in Doral. It's so, so far. I saw um, <laughs> sorry. I, I don't mean to cut you off. You can finish what you were saying. But there is a meme of that I saw someone holding a protest sign that uh, said Doral is Hialeah con corbata, which is like Doral is Hialeah with a tie. that's funny sorry you were saying i mean mean, no i'm just like it's like this it's this very they homogenize a lot of cities Mm -hmm. in a way and i think that miami is a victim to that as well and this idea that it's so cuban but like i know plenty of people who don't experience miami that way although it is very cuban there is like a specific uh cuban default that happens here but you don't have to exist that way not that yeah. like you should be resistant to experience a Cuban like Miami, but I do think that there is like so many other things to experience here. But yeah, I mean, I do find that the default the default has remained the same, which is like um, weird. I don't know. It's like a weird. For me, it's always thing. been fraught because since my family is Cuban and like that they consider themselves the default over there, and we're talking about a very Republican base of people. It um, right. <laughs> it was always difficult for me to first relate to people there and then second feel like 
it all seems so big because it was all the interfamily politics and drama that was going on on the island brought over to the U.S. in this right. weird way. And so, like, I would meet people at school and my mom, my grandmother would, uh, I would tell her the name, like, Lariu. And she would like, oh, I know the Larius. You know, so it was like, I definitely didn't date Cuban women specifically because of that. Because, <laughs> and also because, like, you know, they tend to be Republican. What part of town are you in, if you don't mind me asking? I'm in Little Haiti. Little Haiti. Yeah. That's actually outside of my Miami, so that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like a completely different Miami in some ways, and it's somewhat the same. Mm-hmm. But it's all, I mean, it's all kind of similar culture in a certain way, because it's all island culture, which is like slow. They're always running out of food at the restaurants. Really? Um, <laughs> well, it's always like this, like, rot of that, rot of that. And you're like, come on, it's like 6 p.m. Why are you running out of all these things? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Do you have a topic picked out for today? You revealed it to me if it's still the same. What did I say again? It had something to do with cameras. I basically, uh, I'm going to talk about all the cameras that I've used, ranking them from my least favorite to my favorite. Okay. <laughs> and in that kind of teaching you about like why and like what, how the cameras function. Are you shooting film? I shoot film, yeah. I mostly shoot film, but I also shoot digital. So there's one digital camera I'm going to talk about as well. Partially because, like, digital would be an entire other conversation. Uh-huh. My experience with digital is quite different. So uh, one of the other Michelle Lisa's just responded. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like... Damn, she's kind of lonely, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> if she doesn't know a Javier, she's like, let me help you by not being the right person. <laughs> I don't know. That's mean. Everybody's life is very much like that in quarantine. So I'm not being fair to her. If someone randomly oh messaged God, me, I, I would totally be like, who? Something to do. <laughs> Investigation time. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Okay. So essentially, I'm going to talk about, let me count it. One, two, three four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 different cameras mm-hmm. in order of the one I liked the very least to the one I've liked the most and the one I use the most often. All right. So which is the garbage? Oh, sorry. I mean, you can keep explaining which is the it. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going to use that lens of like my least to my most favorite to also talk about like film formats and like, it'll give more info. So I'm going to try to like define the terms as they pop up for the okay. first time. First By the camera. way, you are super organized and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I sat, like, I'm going to send you a picture. I literally have sticky notes aligned on my coffee table and the cameras that I still have with me in front of me. A cup of coffee, a can of LaCroix, uh, <laughs> and dog treats so that my dog doesn't bark too much. So I am prepared. Um, <laughs> we, we're not worthy of that level of preparation on the show by, by any uh, means, but we appreciate it. I'm just very paranoid that I'm going to mess something up or forget something. And so whenever I do like public speaking of any sort, I feel bad when I have to like ask someone to like update a podcast or like make like notes in something because I like made a mistake. So I'm like, oh, that's that's something that like just doesn't happen on this show. So you, okay. so you did a good job okay, cool. <laughs> okay. making yourself not say any mistakes publicly. That's very good due diligence because... Yeah, I mean, uh, if you knew it and you told me, I would cut it out. But after it got posted, that would be the end of it. Yeah, okay. see, like, that's what I don't want to do. Because then I'll just yeah. sit there and be like, oh, I'm so embarrassed by myself. You know, like this, like, and it's really silly because it's not that necessary. I mean, I think people usually understand. I say shit all the time where I, like, don't cut it out because 
even though it's just gibberish, <laughs> it's still sort of like it's like a series of like unfinished ideas and sentences. But I'm I'm kind of like I I think that people will understand what I'm saying, even though I don't outright say it. I'll start like a sentence and I'll be like, drop off the rest of it, assuming that the rest of the sentence is implied. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm gonna start with the worst. Well, not the worst. It's not the worst camera. It's the one that I like the least. And I want to preface this because camera bros who just started using film cameras three years ago, who've decided they know what the best camera is, and this is like no shade. Actually, it's hella shade. I have a really <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's framed as shade for sure. It's super shady, mostly because I have a really major frustration with the like hype of cameras have caused the price to like just skyrocket of certain cameras that yeah. are not the best camera, but they were just used by a famous white guy. Uh, um, which famous white guy? Is it, there are so many of them. I mean, there's so many like this. The price has become inflated because of this famous person. Specifically, I'm thinking of the Yashica T4. Okay. Which is a really great point-and-shoot camera with a Carl Zeiss lens. And it was used by Terry Richardson a lot. Okay. who is now kind of like a blacklisted photographer because he's got so many negative allegations against him. Just look him up. It's In kind terms of, gross. of like touchy, touchy? I mean, all types of stuff. It's just like really gross. He's like the picture of what the skeevy photographer kind yeah, of guy yeah, 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 yeah. when you think of like those creepy guy photographers, right? And like so... The dude on Model Mayhem. Yeah, that guy. Totally. And so he... Um, got really famous because he did American Apparel stuff and he did a lot of, like, mm. um, imagery. Because that, that shit ain't problematic in and of itself. Exactly. So, I mean, it's a whole thing. But, like, imagine, like, American Apparel's photography. For a while, there was, like, a genre of fashion photography in the early 2000s that was all kind of similar or influenced by Terry Richardson, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And because he used the Ashika T4, which is this point-and-shoot camera that does all the work for you for the most part, you, you know, composition, all that stuff you still have to do, but it's this point-and-shoot camera that's really fun and cute, and it has this really high-res lens on it, right? Uh -huh. And so that camera that you could at one point find for 25 to 50 bucks is almost $500 now. Uh. Um and there's no way to fix it. So if it breaks, you have a broken camera that you can't use. But it's become this thing that is synonymous with like good, what's a good camera, which it's really, it's really not. And not that it's a bad camera. It's just not like the best. This is all based on the type of work you do and how you shoot and what you need. There's mm. no perfect camera at all. Yeah. Every camera has its flaws. Every camera has certain like quirks you have to get used to, especially film cameras. There's this also just the fact that like some cameras are not good for me because of the type of the way that I shoot or the fact that I have rheumatoid arthritis. You know what I mean? Like, like I actually do it. I'm not saying Damn, like, girl, how old are you? I'm 28. It's an autoimmune disorder. It's a whole thing, but oh, okay. sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I just, I'm, I, that was sympathy. I was like, damn. Yeah, I know. I've had it since I was 19. It's not fun. You know, it's a thing that pops up every once in a while, but it does affect the way that I like and use cameras. Yeah. I also shoot a lot of portraits, people who are close to me. So these are cameras that, like the ones that are my most favorite are the ones that I feel are most comfortable for me to shoot in these settings, right? Mm -hmm. Just to like give more insight about why I'm choosing what I choose. I think that's the problem. When people ask me like, oh, what camera do you recommend that I use? I'm like, it 100% has to do with what you shoot and how you shoot and what you need. And it's not as simple as like, what's the best one? My camera kit currently is, 
I carry on four cameras plus a Polaroid back for one of my other cameras. So mm. essentially like five cameras I carry around on a regular basis. Okay, um, not just for, all strapped to your neck. No. <laughs> I have a really killer vegan camera bag that I love that's like beautiful. It's like vegan leather. It's beautiful. And it carries just about all of my cameras. So I'm going to talk about my least favorite one. Okay. And I'll explain why. So the Mamiya Press camera came out in 1968, I believe. It is a medium format camera that shoots a bunch of different formats. So how does it do that? You just have different backs? Yeah. Okay. The standard used ones that you usually find are like six by seven, six by six. But I believe that one goes all the way up to six by nine. Is this rangefinder or do you have to hide underneath a... So this one you actually can put a large back on as well. I've never used that one. I used the one that had a six by seven back on it. And I used that one for a couple of months. I like the camera for the fact that the lens is really high res, like super beautiful glass lens. But the wind, you wind it by pulling this part out and pushing it back in. Oh. And I found that for some reason I had a really hard time doing that. And it was hard to do it quickly. Although it is a press camera and it was made for like shooting like events and things. I don't know how the fuck anyone did that with this camera. Yeah. That sounds cumbersome. So medium format, before I move on, is what's categorized as 120 film. So uh -huh. what the standard that most people will know is 35 millimeter, which is actually technically called 135 millimeter. What? It's oh, just the names. I've never known that. And I studied photography. Yeah. What? So what it is, is just like Kodak's codes that they used for the films. Oh, it has nothing to do with size? No. Um, it was literally the Kodak codes. The film size for medium format is actually, people always say 120 millimeter, but that's actually technically not correct. It's funny because I just went to drop off my film somewhere and it's had on the form 120 millimeter. Uh -huh. And I was like, nope, that's actually not right, but it's fine. So it's actually technically 56 millimeters on the widest. What's the best way of saying this? So six by six is one format that's pretty like well known in medium uh -huh. format. So it's 56 millimeters by 56 millimeters. The Mamiya press camera that I was talking about you can do six by six, which is 56 by 56 millimeters, or you can do six by seven, which is 56 by six, seven, and then all the way up to six, nine, which is 56 by 84. The interesting thing about medium format film, which is the 120 film that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. is you can actually go up to six by 24, which is 56 millimeters by 224 millimeters, yeah. and you get three images out of it. <laughs> so like 120 film is cool because they also have a version called 220, which takes double the number of images which is literally just like 120 film that's been um stretched longer uh, but it's still the double. same width same width but you can make more images out of it and sorry so this is how pernicious this myth is i just want to clarify the width is not 120 because <laughs> god damn oh, i believed it so hard <laughs> it's 56 yeah it's 56 <laughs> i know you're breaking my heart like, in your, you're shattering your mind, my world I'm so sorry. No, it's uh, okay. <laughs> did you have Bill McGuire? Uh, yeah, he was he was my my main mentor. So yeah, you gotta yell at Bill about that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I think Bill mostly liked his Mamiya Seven too. But yeah. um, yeah. So like, it's weird because 35 millimeter film is also technically 36 millimeters. Okay. So like, you know, it's these things that have just become the common thought for a long time. Um, so that's. The Mamiya press camera. That's why I didn't like it. 
I don't think it's a terrible camera. It just didn't work for me. It's just a hard, uh, what's it called, winding system. I felt like I couldn't shoot quickly enough, even for somebody who shoots portraits. I just felt like it was a very oh, awkward portrait camera. Shoot. Okay. So I was just like, eh, not into it. And, I mean, it's also a rangefinder, so for people who like using a rangefinder, they would enjoy that. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of rangefinding. So then the next are actually two cameras together. And the reason I don't like them is only because the film is discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, and there are two Polaroid cameras that I just really enjoy because I like, I like the Polaroid land cameras because of the way that they print the images. So the Polaroid land cameras are a Polaroid color pack land camera and then the Polaroid automatic 210 land camera. What is the and land distinction? The land cameras are the ones that take the pack film. So the pack okay. film is this film that like, after you click, you pull one tab, which exposes it. And then the other tab, which pulls the film out of the back of the camera. Right. And so the reason I like this particular film is one, the quality, it was the Polaroid original quality and the Fuji FP 100 C, which was the most recent version that was being sold. And there's a black and white version. I can't remember the code for that, but it actually, when you pulled off the image off of the back, you actually had a negative. And so if you, there's this way you can like tape the negative onto like a piece of glass or something, and then you can bleach off the um, emulsion on the other side and you can scan it using a, a film scanner, or you can put it in a, in a large, in enlarger and mm -hmm. actually process larger versions of those images. And it's just kind of a fun thing to play with. And I used to really enjoy doing it. And I have a few negatives left like that. But they discontinued making the film through Fuji, <laughs> which sucks. And There aren't alternatives? No. Nobody's come up with... Nobody started making an alternative of this film. Mm. Which is really sad. I kind of um, wish I had the, the resources to just be like, here, Michelle. <laughs> well, you know, it's, so many people have tried, but it's just the reason that they discontinued it is because the manufacturing process for it is just really intense. Uh, is um, it super toxic or just intense? It's just a lot of work. And okay. I think that there wasn't, they weren't selling enough of it for it to make sense yeah. um, for them as a company. And a lot of film companies, I mean, as you know, probably like film companies have been like, like reducing their... Uh, the quantity that they're producing. So I think the film is still popular enough that we'll still be like formats of like 120 and like 35 millimeter available and even some of the larger ones. But a lot of companies are discontinuing um, other more obscure formats. And this was one that they were just like, you know, the Polaroid Impossible Project exists now and maybe they'll be the ones to pick it up again. But they're focused on the film that's like easier, which is like 600 um, which is like the instant camera film, which I put it above the other ones, mostly just because the only reason I still like it is because it's still available, the film. Yeah. Um, but it's the it's the typical Polaroids that you're used to seeing in the world, which is like you click, you know, like the shake it like a Polaroid picture yeah, yeah. Uh, thing. What you're actually supposed to do with Polaroid film like that is just flip it face down and somewhere dark and leave it alone until it finishes exposing. Oh. But like, I don't like this one because I don't think the Impossible Project film that is available for it is as vibrant and as beautiful in color as the land camera film, which mm. I'm guessing is because of the negative part of it. Yeah. It actually does a better job of exposing probably. This is me guessing. I don't actually know why, but it really just, that film is just so much more vibrant next to 
this like the typical Polaroid film people are used to. Yeah. So those that's why it's there. It's not like the worst camera. It's cute and it's fun, but it's not really for me. Well, <laughs> I think that especially that is this the square one, the one that everybody mm-hmm. sees. I kind of have like a curiosity about like UFO hunting and stuff. And <laughs> and there was a podcast that talked about this one guy who was taking pictures with a Polaroid because it's harder to do a double exposure. So you can't like fake documentation and stuff. But but what they said about those cameras is that they were like the cameras for naughty pictures, the ones that like, Mm -hmm. because you could just like for parties, you could just take the photograph and you wouldn't have to have it developed and stuff, which is crazy. Yeah. And there's no like remnants, like the land camera, there's remnants. Like you can make a negative out of that thing. And if somebody found it in the trash, they could totally be like, Ooh, who's a celebrity on this picture? But with this one, yeah, it's like one image and you're done. Yeah. Especially now that there's scanners, you can totally do more. But like, yeah, totally. I can see that. I've definitely, without revealing too much about myself, totally get the naughty picture thing with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because you edited yourself on the fly so well. <laughs> you were going to be more revealing and immediately you just shut it down. That was so professional. I got to commend you for I'm that. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love it. was just so, there was so much in there. I loved it. Go ahead. <laughs> so, okay. So the next one I want to talk about is the Canon EOS Rebel K2. Okay. And so it's, okay. So this we're is at, the uh, We're at what number? We're at number five. We're at number five. Which it's like, it's going to go pretty fast. No, I no, no. Go- I'm not rushing. I'm just, I want to see where we're at in the range of goodness. Because you said yeah. Rebel, and I want to see where this fits in. Because I recognize yeah. that branding. So they're all, and they're all more the ones that I've actually used long term. Like I've used so many other cameras that I maybe only use like for one role or cameras that I've only used like once or twice. These are ones that I've used for like a significant period of time where I mm-hmm. got to really get to know them. Because I wouldn't want to be that person who's like, drawn like this hard uh, <laughs> decision about the camera just based on like one role because it's never I've shot so many roles in cameras and been like this sucks and then been like oh this is awesome so yeah the Canon EOS Rebel K2 this one's like in the 90s if I'm not mistaken I think it came out in, like 1990 like four or something around there it's a film SLR with mostly digital settings so like it's got auto portrait it's almost like if you can picture like the earliest Canon digital SLRs, but with film. Um, yeah, I actually had no. one. Yeah, did you? It's a cool camera. I mean, it is like, a cool camera, but if your uh, autofocus algorithm is off, if the firmware is fucked, your, your camera is going to take shit pictures. Yeah. That's I had a digital thing. version actually, but sorry, go ahead. But that's the thing that I didn't like about this camera partially was like the autofocus I didn't think was that good. Yeah. And if I'm going to use autofocus, I want it to be pretty good. And then it's also like um, Canon, those Canon cameras did this thing where they pulled all the film out and put, and each time you shot, it would push it back in. And so what happened, which is like silly to say, because it's not something you should do. But if something happened where you needed to open the camera, either you'd have to put it in a black bag or risk losing almost the entire roll of film. Yeah. Whereas like other cameras, when they're slowly pulling it out, you kind of have a little bit more leeway with that. Yeah. If something happens in the early shots. But like, I didn't really like that about the camera. I also just think it's like, it's just a very basic film SLR. There's nothing like, there's no quirks or like fun to it. It's just like standard. If it's the autofocus is good and you shoot with it, you're probably going to be fine. There's nothing special about it. It's one of those cameras you can still find for like 25 bucks online. Um, It's great for like 
early film students who are just learning how to shoot with film. Actually, film photography teachers would probably hate it for you. Yeah. Only because it's so auto-focused. Like, there's so many auto-settings on it that you can kind of shoot without trying and studying it. And yeah. I will say that's partially why a lot of film teachers don't like you to use this particular camera. Does it have, but like, its own day, light meter compensation setup and everything? Yeah, it's yeah. got everything. I mean, it's literally, if you took an XSI, but it was a film camera with no screen in the back, mm-hmm. it's, like, the same thing, except it's film. There's no hoopla. It's not the most fancy camera. It's not the least fancy camera. It's going to do its job, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And the next one is kind of similar, but I like it a little bit more because mm-hmm. I also put on the Nikon FM10, which was made in 1995. This is the first film camera I ever used. Okay. So I have a soft spot for it. And it's just a standard camera. It comes with a 35 to 70 millimeter lens, built-in light meter, but it's like no frills. It's like manual camera with its interchangeable lenses, just like the Canon Rebel K2. And so you can take the battery off and not use a light meter as well, which is what I had this kind of intense photography teacher as my first teacher. And he taught us how it to shoot. It sounds pretty with... fucking intense. He was, I mean, he was interesting. He was like, he taught us how to shoot without um, a light meter, without a light meter, which Jesus. was really great. How, how do you do yeah. that? How do you approach that? That's insane. Sorry. That would be another whole yeah. thing. But essentially, he teaches you how to like do quick metering. I bet you he uh, he nails the zone system too. Oh yeah, he's really he's so good. Like he's a really he's really good at it. The funniest thing about it is that he studied ceramics in school. This was in high school, so I was lucky enough to be in one of those high school that was in in Florida where we were in a high tax zone, so our school had funding, you know. And yeah, yeah. so we had a dark room, like a full dark room, full ceramic studio, like a whole thing. And he really wanted to learn the format of photography. So he actually taught himself all of this stuff to be able to teach us because he was, although we had funding, we still only had two art teachers for a thousand students. Wow. Um, So we had great facilities, but not enough teachers still. So he was a ceramics person who had to learn photography. So he was like, I'm going to learn it in the most technical way possible. So for a really long time, I shot a lot of my work without a light meter and this guy's a gangster just the idea of the undertaking of teaching high school kids some shit that i wouldn't even want to bother learning in college (laughs) yeah exactly so i mean it was i mean that's why i i think it's partially why i've stuck with it it's also i so i studied painting and drawing when i was younger and it was one of those things that came so easy to me i wasn't that interested in it and i think the reason i like photography is because of the way i was taught I still feel like I'm learning so much more every day. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like love tinkering with cameras so much. But yeah, the Nikon FM10 is like a sweet camera. It's great for film students. It's like... I think I, I shot with one of those early on too. That was my first I'm film. I'm sure. They're yeah. also, at that time, they were so cheap. You could buy them in bulk for like $10 per camera. Whoa. So people were just like... Buy, like our school had... It was like in a locker, but I school, our school had like 30 or 40 of them that wow. we could rent out, which was really great. They were so chill that like they didn't really break... If a lens broke, you just replace the lens and it wasn't that expensive. You know what? It was just yeah, like yeah. very, very standard. Okay. So the next one, I feel kind of bad putting in this list. I do really like it, but it didn't make sense for it to be any higher on the list. Okay. So that's to preface that. And it's the Fuji GS645S. Uh-huh. And the one that I had was the Wide 60. And it's a camera that came out in 1984. And it's a... Medium format rangefinder, but this rangefinder is actually a 6.45. So 
The 645 format is interesting because it's the same aspect ratio as 35 millimeter, standard 35 millimeter. But this camera is interesting because of it being a rangefinder at 645 and the shape of the camera. It's not like a modular system, like something like a Mamiya 645 or something else. Uh -huh. So to make it as slim as possible and the most compact camera you can actually, one of the most compact cameras, it's actually turned on its side, like the viewfinder. So instead of looking at the images in a landscape mode, you're looking at the images in a portrait mode. Mm. And so the interesting part of that is it kind of like shifts the way you're thinking when you're photographing things. Because typically if you want to shoot in a standard like SLR or rangefinder format and you want to turn take a portrait, people have to flip the camera. But you're actually in a standard portrait mode always. Wow. I really um, like what, this. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I, w I have a question, but go ahead. Sure, what's your question? Uh, so it's 645 is just another code then? Well, so so it's six by six four point five. Okay. And the weird thing is, is like it's technically just rounded up because it's supposed to be six centimeters, but it's actually five point six centimeters. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. It's too it. many fucking numbers there. <laughs> yeah, but it's so it's so in the way that like 50, six by six is fifty six by fifty six. Uh huh. Um, six by four point five is fifty six by four point forty two millimeters. So it's. I have not thought in numbers so much until I spoke to you. <laughs> this is <laughs> fascinating about I, our worlds are are, are uh, um, because I mean I, I'm interested, but I'm severely dyslexic. So if I was even doing your talk right now, I would be getting numbers <laughs> wrong left and right because I would look at them on a page and then jumble the number. I had a a, a girlfriend who was who was like it was like a. A trick that I could do, <laughs> it would blow her mind. Where really? She would, yeah, she she would be like, "It's amazing." It's like it was like watching a feat, seeing me like not be able to do it. You know, I mean, I can oh, do no. it. I just have to stop and make like and and like really fucking make an effort. But if I just like, if if I just if I'm reading a sentence and I come up to a number, and I and like I just blaze through, I'm gonna get it wrong. Really? Yeah. I, so I I'm really fascinated. Like and like Excel sheets. So this stuff is like really fun to me. Like I, you should see, like I literally have notes on my computer, on my, on like the, the coffee table. Cause I really just like also wanted to like be as thorough as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cause I really love cameras. Like I really do. It's like one of those things that I just really enjoy playing with. Uh -huh. um, but this camera is, it's a really fun camera. That's like the thing about it. It's fun because it's a great travel camera. It's one of those cameras you can use in like more quick settings, like the street photography, got a pretty decent lens on it. Like it has a 60 millimeter lens at four. Mm -hmm. So the aperture, which I'll explain, but I know you know, the smallest number being the most open aperture, which is the system inside of the lens that lets light in. It's that James Bond field. leaf. Uh... Yes, exactly. So like the leaves kind of go open and close. I like to describe it as like your eye. Thinking of like when you go outside, there's a lot of light coming in. The pupil is very small and that will allow you to see further than if you were inside and it's a little bit darker and your pupils would actually open up more. Is um, there any way to give a camera LSD so that its pupils are like super dilated? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a uh, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> switching lenses. <laughs> And um, then so to, uh, and then twenty two is uh, what's what's considered a pretty small aperture, because four is pretty large, right? Four is pretty, pretty large. So like, so that's the thing about this camera is you can't 
with a, a wider range of apertures, it makes it easier to shoot in more um, varied settings, right? Uh -huh. And so what's considered small is like there's some lenses with even like 1.2 now. Yeah, yeah. For shooting at night, essentially. Yeah, shooting at night, shooting in like dark rooms. And I mean, the film also makes a totally big difference, which I could go on for another hour about just film and like... Yeah, and speed uh, and whatnot. Film speed and grain and all of that. But for the most part, you'd shoot something at four inside of like a dark room um, at night. Shooting at night is a whole other world too. Like I'm thinking about if you're in like perfect light settings, this is what it kind of works like. Mm -hmm. If you were to picture an aperture of F4, F4 is about like one fourth of the uh, size of like the whole of the lens. Like that's kind of how you can kind of picture that. Mm -hmm. But like one would be like, you can almost not see the edge of the aperture at all. Okay. It's very, one is also very rare. 1.8 is kind of like the smallest aperture that you'll see on like most standard cameras or they'll be very, very expensive. But the Fuji GS 645S is really cool. My problem is that if you think of like your standard rangefinder, like a Leica or like a Mamiya's um, or the Machina or even the Mamiya press camera that I mentioned in the very beginning, the rangefinder is pretty much, you can see it through the entire lens, the entire viewfinder, I mean. Mm -hmm. But with this Fuji, the, you're actually focusing this tiny dot in the middle of the viewfinder. And for someone whose vision is like, uh, deteriorating pretty rapidly. It was really difficult for me to use the actual focusing inside of the viewfinder. So that's so why it, it was the it was the focusing mechanism that was a problem. Yeah, I mean, other people who have really good vision will have no problem with yeah, it. Right. I wear glasses, and my vision is too bad for me to wear contacts. Mm. So like, I'm having like the viewfinder is like smacking my glasses, and yeah. I also can't really see. For some, it's easy, but for me, it was like. It was rough. I would get headaches trying to focus the camera and like a, a day trip out into the mountains or something. And like that was really hard for me to, to, to deal with. Uh -huh. So I sold that camera because it was just like I, I wasn't really getting the best use out of it. I knew somebody else would. Yeah. Um, so the next one is my first ever medium format camera. So I have a Roly 3.5 mm -hmm. uh, MX. It was made in 1954. Is this my oldest camera? I think it actually might be my oldest camera. Yeah, I think it's my oldest camera. It's a cool camera because it's one of those cameras that if somebody you like glance through a vintage store, it might be there and you assume doesn't work or like you can't find film for it. Mm -hmm. Or like if you're talk about the time, like if you're trying to talk about like 1940s to 50s, 60s era, mm -hmm. like in film or in like video or in uh, setting a space, they'll throw one of these in there so you can really think about time, right? Yeah. So this is a twin lens reflex camera. It's the only twin lens reflex camera that I have. And what that means is that, so your standard camera that you're probably used to seeing is an SLR. It has one lens on it. What you see through the viewfinder is what the lens is looking at. And it's actually kind of similar to a rangefinder in a way in that it has two things that you're focusing, right? But with a twin lens reflex camera, you have one lens on top that is focusing, it's the one that you're looking at through the viewfinder. Yeah. And so that's the lens that you're using to like set your, set the composition, focus, whatever. The lens on the bottom is the one that's actually doing the shooting. Mm -hmm. 
And the nice thing about these cameras is they're very sharp. They're like all glass usually, except for like those like really cheap ones, like the Blackbird and like um, the like Lomo ones. But for the most part, they're like glass, metal, heavy as shit. I have dropped this camera on my face multiple times and split my lip open. Um, it is heavy duty. I've dropped it like onto the floor, still pretty good. There's like literally, despite the fact that I've dropped it in so many different ways, I'm like holding it now. It has like no scratches on it. I've traveled to Mexico, Haiti, around the United States. Like I've done so many things with this camera and it's still in beautiful condition. The cool thing about this camera, it's got a waist level viewfinder and a waist level viewfinder, you look down into the camera. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about this camera is that it's six by six. So it's kind of like that Instagram square format. There's something very, um, something very sweet about square format. It's great for portraits. I've actually shot with this camera in so many settings. Like I've shot street photography with it, which is much more difficult because the shape of it, it's um, rectangular and like very tall. So you Uh kind of like, you have to get very used to using this camera in this format. But when you do, it's pretty thick. The lens on this one is 75 millimeters and the the smallest aperture is 3.5. It's got a Carl Zeiss lens like that uh, Yashica T4 I was complaining about earlier. Uh, (laughs) And what's the the hype on uh, Zeiss? So Zeiss is just known for making really high quality glass lenses. And there's other lenses that are made out of cheaper materials that will get you a decent image, but glass, high quality glass that is being made by a company that's existed for a hundred years or something crazy. Like it's like a hundred years. There's a skill level to making glass in the shape that you need. And lenses are so similar to your eyes. So the higher quality that you can get, the closer you get to like your vision uh-huh. is the better lens that you can get. And I mean vision in the sense of like 2020 perfect vision, yeah. <laughs> not like my vision. My vision is not great. <laughs> um, the vision you're trying to get to is like 2020. And so this camera is really fun. The reason it's like where it is in the list, which is number eight, is really just because it's something that I've grown out of a lot. Mm. I think that the format of the camera is really great, great for portraits. It's perfect studio camera. You set it up on a tripod and you can just keep clicking. The cool thing also is that inside of a waist, a lot of these waist level finder cameras, you have a little magnifying glass that you can use for, um, which I'm like playing with it right now as I'm talking, um, <laughs> which is why you hear those clicks, which you can use for getting a lot, focusing a little bit better. But this camera is all manual. There is no light meter inside of it. You can get a different type of viewfinder and attach it to the top. I just have never done that personally. So it doesn't have a light meter? No. Okay. So this is one of those ones you're 100% shooting manually or you're using like a light meter on the side. I do have a hand light meter that I use now sometimes, but even that I don't use very often um, just because I Well, if you know how to, yeah, if you know how to do it, like why would you, why would you uh, encumber yourself with something that like uh, would slow down your process? Right. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's really just up to the photographer again. Like, I don't want to act like I'm like a perfect photographer. I've definitely like fucked up settings and then later on been like, why'd you do that? You know, (laughs) and just been like, oh, damn it. You know, but 
for the most part, it's like a very like straightforward thing once you like have figured it out. It's funny too, because this camera has like an ASA um, dial that you can change on the side and it actually doesn't do much. Like it doesn't really change <laughs> anything. Um, it doesn't change anything in the camera, but it does help. It's supposed to help you with uh, focusing. Yeah. Um, but I literally never use it. So <laughs> like that's, that tells you and uh, what you all you need to really know about me. Have you um, ever held it over your head and looked up into the viewfinder and shot like that, or is that just really awkward because it's heavy? No, I've never done that. I've never thought to do that. Yeah, I mean, you totally could do that. Never yeah. thought to do that. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, damn, now I'm gonna try it. <laughs> that's just who I am. All right, do um, it. Totally. It is a beautiful camera, though, and I think that like. It's one of those ones that, like, every time when I think to sell it, I'm like, but I love her, you know? Like, <laughs> it's just such a sweet camera. And, like, I haven't been using this one as much, which I should start using it again because we can't, mechanical objects like this in general, the less you use them, the harder, they, like, more issues they get. Yeah. So I just, every once in a while, I pass a, a roll of film through it. I'll usually just do, like, portraits of somebody, like, if I have a commission or something. Mm -hmm. And I'll just, like, do some portraits of somebody and, like, have these as extras. Um, just to make sure I'm using it enough. But I don't take it out into the world with me as much. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But for the most part, I haven't been doing that. So this next camera, it's the only digital camera on the list. Mostly because it's the only, dig only digital camera I'm using right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really happy with it. I wasn't really using my old, um, at a Canon 60D. And then last year I got a commission and I was like, well, you know, this commission is a photography commission and this is the perfect time for me to upgrade my digital gear. So I got a Sony a7R2, mm. which is, it's a killer camera. I mean, it's like, this is why I didn't want to talk too much about digital cameras too. It's kind of an entirely different world of photography talk when you think about digital cameras. Yeah. And so I'm kind of just like throwing this one in. It is a camera I use regularly. It's a camera I really enjoy. I go out shooting with friends with it. I sh can shoot video with it, which I'm really excited about because the 60D wasn't great for video. This one has really beautiful autofocus. The tracking when you're moving from different, like when you're panning the camera is just perfect. Mm -hmm. I've never really seen a camera adjust to different lighting situations on video this well. Mm. And the ones above it are definitely way better, but this one for what I needed and the range that I needed for the camera, it's just perfect. I do still shoot mostly photography with it, portraits, headshots, like the, the bread and butter, like the places where I can make a quick 500 bucks, you know, mm -hmm. I shoot that stuff with this, but I have been working in more video because I've, become part of a film collective called Third Horizon. Um, and it's a Caribbean film festival and film collective based in Miami and New York. And so I, I've just been really excited to shoot more video stuff. I have film people around me. So like I get a lot of really helpful feedback about my work. Mm -hmm. And it's also really fun, I think, to see how a photographer shoots video. Yeah. I think it's slightly different from somebody who already was thinking in more, more cinematic terms i'm thinking more about color and it's really nice to have my friends who are more in the cinematic world be like nah girl it needs more narrative and i'm like <laughs> you're right <laughs> you know? uh, it's really exciting so i really love this camera i have a 51.8 on this camera right now mm. i haven't bought any new lenses for it mostly because honestly of laziness like i haven't really 
I've been shooting with it fine because it's mostly been shooting portrait type stuff. So it's fine for what I've needed. But I do think I'm going to get two more um, lenses very soon and a battery grip so I can shoot more like regularly with it. Mm. But it is really, I'm really happy with this purchase particularly, especially since it cost me $2,500. So (laughs) I'm like, well, it cost me $2,500, but it's $2,500 out of a commission, which is one of the nice things about being a photographer who's in also this like other realm of like art practice so i have two art and public places commissions right now with my immediate county and these like large sum checks on top of like my salary really helped me to be able to like keep up with my gear yeah keep my studio like ready to go and like always ready to shoot and work the next thing i'm gonna get for myself is a mac desktop very excited about that Mm. because editing on a laptop is the worst like i'm slouched i cannot wait to sit up straight and work so excited and I'm going to upgrade like my scanner. But yeah, that's the Sony A7R2. I'm not going to go into it too much because like that's an entire other conversation. Mm. And also like I'm not a straight digital shooter in the way that other people are. Yeah. So I I don't have as much interest in the like mechanics of it. I'm like way more of a film nerd in the sense of like knowing everything about film mm-hmm. and wanting to know everything about film. I find myself watching videos about film cameras that i've never used in my entire life just because like i'm really curious about them all the time and say that and some like film bro is gonna listen to this and just be like yeah she probably never even used to have these cameras bro fuck those people (laughs) i'm very salty about the film bro world mostly because when you go online and like you look up certain photography like videos like when you're like how to load this camera or like reviews of cameras they're just so biased in the way that they think about certain cameras because i can tell they've been fed so much about what is considered a good camera or the best camera for this yeah. and there is there just it just isn't realistic it's really about you and like that's why I, I get frustrated because I know people who still shoot with like, you know, a Mark, like a Mark IV, like a Canon uh, 5D Mark IV and like people kind of rag on them, but it's like, it still works. You can still use the lenses. I like shooting with this camera. I don't want to feel bad and like have to replace it, you know, just because other people think that I should be shooting with something like the most updated version or whatever, or, you know, and it's also like, you've gotten used to it, you know? And like when they upgrade cameras and change them, sometimes they just change them so much that people don't want to use them. Yeah. Um, or like people don't know how to use them and they get frustrated by the learning curve. So some people just want to shoot with the same thing. I was lucky and I'm happy that like my upgrade to the Sony was like a good one. Cause I do know that there's people who don't like that. I'm also going to get a flash for it, uh-huh. but that's going to be in the future mostly just because I don't actually like taking this SLR to the types of spaces where I would need a flash, which is like parties and events, because I don't have $2,500 immediately right now if it's been broke. <laughs> and people at parties are high and drunk and wild and crazy, and I don't want to do that. So yeah. I actually got the next camera for this purpose. I actually just got it, and it's very quickly become my favorite one, one of my favorite ones. And partially because I was actually looking into... Uh, medium format point and shoot cameras, which I have one on my list of future purchases, which is like, it's like in the $700 range. Mm. Um, but the one that I just bought, which was, I think this one was $120 mm. and it's a 35 millimeter point and shoot camera. And it's a Canon AF 35 M. I pull up the sticky note as if I don't also have the camera sitting next to me. I don't know why I did that. Yeah. I can, I can tell that you're handling each camera as you talk about it, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I just love them so much. I'm like such a nerd. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. 
it's just like my favorite. I don't know. It's just a beautiful camera, but and cameras are just so they're so different. I think the thing that I like the most about it is the thing that I think that frustrates me the most about the film bro world is that there's literally a camera for everyone and like what they want to have. Also, like if you're someone like me, your kit is gonna be just gigantic after a while because mm-hmm. there's something that you like for everything. Yeah. And the reason I like this camera is because it's a straight point and shoot. And partially because I haven't shot with a point and shoot really since I was like a kid. Mm-hmm. And specifically I'm thinking of like going to like, well, I'm going to say the Rapids, but I don't know if that's something that you grew up going to because you're from Miami. But like the Rapids was like this like water park in Palm Beach. Everyone would take like disposable cameras with them or like I had this old Vivitar. I can't remember the model. It was one of the first cameras my mom bought for me. Um, my mom has been the most supportive of my photography career and it's been the sweetest thing. But like this camera, I like because it is a decent glass lens on it. It's a Canon lens, 38, 2.8. So you have a pretty small aperture available for this point and shoot. It's got autofocus, it's got flash. And the cool thing about this camera is, although it doesn't have a light meter inside of the viewfinder, what it does have is it has this um, focus. It's kind of like a focus finder, I guess is the best. And when you click on the bottom, it has these kind of images of like focal lengths. Mm-hmm. and it shows you what the focal length that it shot in was. Mm. So it's auto-focusing for you, but it's also kind of giving you a little bit of insight on what the camera saw, because mm. you're not seeing it through the viewfinder exactly. You're just seeing like the image through the viewfinder, but not the actual focal length. So you can actually keep shooting again in a slightly different way to get it to focus slightly different, mm. um, even though it's a point-and-shoot. It's straightforward. It's beautiful. It's also like... I'm also into the look of cameras too, which is if you think about the range of cameras I've talked about, they're all kind of like vintagey, mm-hmm. but that like sleek version of vintage. This one's like a beautiful rectangular shape. The one that I found, I like shopped around for one that was like in a really nice condition as well. It's just beautiful, and it's got this pop up. If you hear, can you hear? That's like the the pouchy <laughs> stuff. That's the flash pop-up. Oh. It has a manual pop-up that you can put the flash up and down. So you have a little bit of leeway with how you want to shoot. So I can shoot without, with or without flash. And you can push and pull the film yourself by, like, changing the um, ASA in the camera, too, mm-hmm. which is really fun. And I've just enjoyed this one so much. I just dropped off three more rolls from this camera today so i'm just like very i've just been really having a good time with it and through the quarantine um i bought it at the beginning earlier in the quarantine not in the beginning but earlier in the quarantine and i've just been shooting with it so much and it's just like it's just fun she's cute she's like just, my sister used to collect cameras uh really she, yeah she i mean she she isn't even really i mean i don't want to diss her and say that she's not like a photographer but it wasn't even about using the cameras. I think she would just find them at uh, at different, like, I'm going to say yard sales or vintage shops and stuff and just yeah. collected them and had them as, like, sculptures in the house kind of thing. It was cool. I love that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, like, kind of fun pieces, too. Like, I think maybe that's part of why I like the looks of them, too, is, like, they're on my bookshelf. I'm a pretty minimal, like, in most other ways, I'm a pretty minimal person, but mm. cameras are the one thing that I hoard. And even though, even that, my hoard is not that big. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that I actually have on hand now. Mm. Um, and then eight when I buy this other one that I want to get. 
But yeah, this Canon, it's number 10. Did not expect to like this camera as much as I do. I thought it would just be fun, and I'm, like, obsessed with it now. It's literally one of the favorite, cam- like, best yeah. cameras I've been able to play with that has just been this this chill. It's, like, the chillest one, too. And so my most favorite camera that I've used and that is in my kit, okay, uh-huh. is the Mamiya RB67. Okay. And this is one of those ones that a film bro is going to be like, why not the RZ? Honestly, just because I don't care. Like, it's not even like this. Maybe in the future, if I decided to get like a, a digital back, I would go to the RZ. But, and okay, so the Mamiya RB67, the reason I like this camera is it's got... The letters RB are because of, it has a rotating back on it. Mm. And so you can kind of hear the click of the camera. Yeah. The cool thing about this, it's similar to the Roloflex in that it's got a waist level finder on it. So you look up from the top uh, down into the camera, right? Mm. So because it's such a big clunker, I mean, it's the heaviest camera I own also. Mm -hmm. And despite having arthritis, it's actually, I don't, I'm not as bothered by shooting with this camera. Um, one of my housemates also has the exact same camera and we both love it so much. The lens on this thing is, it's huge. I mean, the camera itself is a modular system. If you're looking from the top and holding the camera uh, in front of you, it's about mm-hmm. eight inches out. Um, width-wise, I could also totally look this up, but the width-wise, I'm just going to guess maybe like five to six inches. And so it's large. It's very large. But the lens on this camera is beautiful it's crisp i have on it right now the 127 millimeter f 3.8 there's other lenses that you can get for it too which it's pretty cool that you can even like switch out the lenses on such a like large camera Mm -hmm. but it's a modular camera system which means that you can take parts off of it and put different parts on it's a waist level viewfinder that i have on it but you can actually change this viewfinder to a ttl viewfinder which would have um, a light meter built into it and you just would change the batteries of just that was a mango falling on the roof um (laughs) with uh just uh so the nice thing about it is because it's modular and you can put that other light meter on top the only thing that would need to replace batteries is a light meter on top and if the battery went out you can still shoot with this camera that's also one of the reasons i like vintage film cameras is that because they're not completely digital, if like the battery is dead, you can still shoot with it. And that's a nice thing about learning how to use, shoot without a light meter or to have an exterior light meter is that you can still shoot even if you don't have electricity. And that's part of the thing with um, back in the day, not back in the day, I say it like so long ago, but I go back and forth to Haiti usually two times a year. Uh Last year there was protests. I only went one time last year. And then this year, COVID, you know, Haiti shut down the whole country because they were like, no, nah, we're not dealing with that pandemic shit here. And so they were like, nobody comes. You have to be uh, get your temperature checked at the door. Like, and if you are not from Haiti, you have to leave. Like, that's literally how they dealt with it. Uh-huh. But with going to Haiti so often, the reason the Roli was so great and um, uh, this one is so great is that I don't need to charge anything or have batteries for anything for me to shoot. Wow, and so... Yeah. I can shoot, 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 you know, roll up my film. I put the film into my black bag uh, that I have that protects it from the x-rays and then just go on, you know, and I fly in and out and it's no big deal. I did one time have a roll of film get ruined by an x-ray, but it was fine. Uh, It was just, it's just weird and funky looking. 
But because it's modular, you also have the option of taking the back off. So the, the parts of it, it's like the lens, the actual camera obscura, which is like the term for what the a camera is, which is like, uh, essentially it's a box with a mirror and refracted light. <laughs> like that's essentially what the camera obscura means for the most part. Focusing stuff on the side and then on the back of the, mod, the, of the module is the film backs. Mm. So this camera takes... Uh, oh, there's still film in here right now. Um, and that's the funny thing is I'm looking at all these cameras and every single one has film in it in some <laughs> way, except for the Polaroids. Only one of the Polaroids has film in it, which I'm sure the film is terrible now, but it's like one of those things that I can't let myself shoot it because it's so hard to find now and so expensive. But the RB back that I have on it now is the 120 back. You can also get a 220 back. And the other back I have is a Polaroid back. And that one is in the fridge because it also has two shots left in it. And... I've had it in the fridge probably for like months now because I'm afraid of shooting with it because I don't want to lose it. Because it's I've the always, last of that, that uh, of those land ones. It's the last that I have. You can still find it and people have it in like the fridge, but it's very expired and it's not as great as like because it is a it is a lower quality film compared to like roll film. Uh-huh. So when that expires, it's pretty bad. I remember I had a friend whose dad found like a box of like ten boxes of the original um kodak uh land camera film and half of it was like all goopy and gross because all because like it processes the same way you are used to like processing negatives in like a dark room it does it all in the camera so there's all these chemicals and so like you have this like nasty chemically goop that comes out i've literally my finger has felt like it was burning Mm. from it before when i pulled it out this was years ago when i was still in college but yeah, I mean, this camera, I'm obsessed with it. I take it just about any country that I go, any place that I travel to. It's got the same thing as the other camera where you have the waist level finder and you also have the magnifying glass inside, which is partially why I prefer this finder to the um, one with the light meter in it. Mm-hmm. I always forget what kind of finder is called because I never really use them, honestly. Sorry. Um, but I prefer this because it has a magnifying glass in it. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is that it has this um, mechanism in the back. It's like a dark slide inside of the film back that essentially keeps you from making mistakes from um, taking the camera film back off without covering up the film. Mm. And then if I'm shooting somewhere where I really don't want to mess up too bad, and this was a nice thing that people liked about this camera, is you can put a Polaroid back on it set the camera, shoot on the Polaroid, and from there you can decide, oh, do I want to push it a little bit higher? Do I want to like up my exposure in some way? Do I want to lower my exposure in some way? Do I want to re- reframe the image? And then you can put the dark slide back on, take that Polaroid film back off of it, put the 120 or what other film back that you're using for the, the real film, quote unquote, Put that one back on and then you can shoot from there. Yeah. I mean, digital is way faster than this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, but like, it's still something I really enjoy doing. I feel like a lot of people don't understand the appeal of film, but there's just something color wise yeah, that is so definitely. different with film than digital. And digital, and I think it's because digital is manufacturing it, you know, like the camera is creating the images with pixels, whereas with film, it's like just light. And it's light being exposed to this uh, material. 
And there's something about the way that the colors change and the range of colors that you get. And the, 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 there's like a softness despite being very sharp. But this camera, it's like, so it's from 19, this is in 1974. And it's still one of my most favorite cameras like yeah. I've ever used. I mean, one day I will probably want to get like the nice thing. So the thing about the RZ67 is you can get a digital back for it. And a digital back, they're made by, what is this company called? Well, a phase one. Mm. And those digital backs, I mean, they're like $10,000, but they shoot from like a hundred megapixels and higher. Like it's for people who really shoot um, things that need to be really high res, things that are going to go on these HD cam, like film screen and stuff like that. But it is really beautiful. It is a really beautiful, like I've seen some really beautiful images shot with a digital back. They also make a digital back for some of the other modular cameras. But this RB doesn't take the digital backs. I would have to upgrade to the RZ, which is like just barely more expensive, like a a few hundred dollars more expensive than this one. I don't know if it's worth the investment for the digital back, but the RZ and the RB are like totally worth your money. I've also shot with an RZ and I see why people like it. But for me, like the RB is perfectly fine. It's so similar for me as somebody who doesn't really need the light meter and all the digital stuff that like, Mm. I'm good, I'm happy. So, yeah, those are my favorite cameras of the cameras I've actually used. So uh, what do you, like, I mean, obviously we've gotten to know you quite a bit and, <laughs> and, and your personality through hearing you explain all this stuff, but do you always have a camera? Are there instances where you don't have a camera? How do you feel different? Each camera also, for me, is for a different kind of setting, right? I love that, like, Canon AF um 35M because it's for parties. And I like, you know, when I pull up the camera, people are like, oh my God, hey, you know, and they like get excited and you get these like- Yeah, they react differently to it if you pull out an SLR or even a big format, right? Yeah, it's just a very different like energy, right? Mm -hmm. And then with like the Mamiya RB and the Roly 3.5, I find that like, I can be a little bit more quiet when I'm in like public settings with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Although they're both like, well- the RB's loud as fuck. Like it's like it's a it's a clunk, clunk, you know, like it's like a sound, you know? Yeah. Um, but the Rolly's pretty quiet. Uh, I mean, for a old ass film camera. But because you're using the waist level finder, people aren't really looking for it. Like they're not like, you know, if you catch someone's uh, line of sight when you have a point and shoot or like a DSLR or a rangefinder that you're holding up to your face, people are kind of like oh, she's taking a picture, you know? Whereas with the Roly, with the RB, I've been able to shoot in certain settings where um, people just don't even realize I'm shooting until after I've clicked, you know? And I say this with another kind of, like, preface, too, because I don't really like shooting street photography for the purposes of disruptions or, like, exploitation. I don't like to make people feel like I'm, like, taking their image and, like, blasting it to the world, right? Uh I think photography is complicated for that reason because historically, photojournalists and, like, street photographers kind of shot without thinking about whether or not that person was comfortable. Cause like, you know, and, I, and in school, they kind of taught us like the law says that you can shoot wherever you want basically. But being somebody who comes from a culture where people feel so exploited as I've gotten older, I've realized that like, I do want more permission from people to shoot them. And so I don't shoot street photography as much because I don't like the, the the way I feel when I shoot that image of somebody in the street and I feel like they aren't part of the conversation, you know? I think yeah. people of color, black people, um, poor people 
are so often um, not part of conversations that like I try to shoot in a way that makes people feel like they're invited. So sometimes when I'm shooting out in public, I will kind of do like a, I'll like kind of glance the camera up to make sure that they see it. And if they're fine with it, I'll click, yeah. you know, but I, I don't like, I think back to like a lot of like, um, you know, famous national, Ge- national geographic photographers and like, you know, think of like Afghan girl, you know, this band made so much money off of this image yeah. of this girl. And when they looked back to find her, she was so poor in Afghanistan and like old, she's aged, not, not old in the sense that like, oh my God, she's so old, but like she's aged and like her life hasn't changed much, you know, yeah. whereas this person kind of got rock, skyrocketed to a, a certain amount of fame. That image was being plastered all over the world and all over different like medias, yeah. you know, and so I don't want to contribute to that world for people in that way. So like I photograph like my friends and my family because I know they're fine with me photographing them and they enjoy it. My mother and I, I, I love like photographing my mom. Like I feel like my mom is like my muse, you know? Mm. And so I get these opportunities to just kind of like play with my mom and like, I know she's okay with what we're doing. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's trust there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's partially why I like some of the, some, the medium format cameras too. Like the Rolly, I got that after I'd been shooting with like the Nikon and the Canon for a really long time, the Canon K2 and the Nikon FM10. And, and the Rolly forced me to slow down in a way that I've never really thought to slow down. So mm-hmm. I now have this kind of range of like what I want to shoot depending on where I am and how we, how I can make that work for me. And so I, I think it's really all, like playing with all of these cameras has really forced me to think about the people I'm shooting, why I'm shooting them, what I'm doing, like what I'm going to do with that image, my intentions behind shooting that particular person in this setting with this camera, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love, I love particularly like the Roly and the Mamiya because they have the waist level viewfinder also for when I'm talking to people and shooting with them because I can put the camera on a tripod in front of me or next to me and then I can focus it and I can just kind of like keep shooting without breaking the conversation I'm having with somebody I can um yeah you don't have to put something physically between you and them exactly like it's not in front of my face I can look and we can talk and I can continue to have these like engagements it's kind of interesting sometimes to shoot somebody who's like looking just above the camera also and then I can still be like can you look at the lens can you do this um, and they're still seeing my face. And there's a certain kind of um, relationship with your subject that I really enjoy about shooting these, especially in studio settings. It's like yeah. so, so much fun for me to shoot in studio settings with these cameras. And like, yeah, I'm just like obsessed with them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, you can tell. Well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, yeah. uh, we definitely have gotten into it i really appreciate how much preparation you've put into it uh i basically didn't have to do anything this conversation is amazing i was just like no it's it's perfectly fine it's perfectly fine uh do you have any stuff that you want to promote or uh do you um, have anything that's coming up i know it's like covid time but maybe you're doing a digital shit thing or something like that well you know be on the lookout. I also work as an arts administration. I work at Ulite Arts in Miami Beach, currently in Miami Beach, soon to be in the city of Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be doing a conversation about um, how to apply to grants. We rescheduled it. We haven't confirmed the date, but if you're interested in like learning about like 
the ins and outs of applying to artist grants and artists. And it's not just grants. We're talking about, in general, the do's and don'ts of applying to things as an artist because, and it'll be a conversation between me and Ashley Artists from Creative Capital. Mm -hmm. And we're both people who've been in multiple organizations that focus on artists, advocacy and arts um, projects and granting. And we've noticed certain trends in applications that were like, we don't want you to do that anymore. We want you to put your best foot forward. And as somebody who has both the background as an artist and an administrator, I, I really like to see artists um, put their best foot forward when they're applying for things, because the shitty thing about it that artists don't realize is like on the inside, sometimes you have to like make quick judgments on applications based on them, like not finishing things. Right. Like if you didn't, if we asked you for an artist bio and you sent us a statement, then that's disqualified you in some places, you know? Mm. Or if we ask you for a CV and you instead just give us a PDF that's like your portfolio, that can disqualify you. Like things like that that should not disqualify you, especially when you have a great idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and artists do that a lot. So we're going to be doing that probably in the next two weeks. We're going to reschedule it for. Um, and then I'll also be moderating a conversation between two artists that have got one grants from our Ellie's program at Ulai. We have a program called the Ellie's. And if you're a Miami-Dade County artist, you should look into it. Um, the due date is June 30th and it's a project-based grant for Miami's best artist ideas. And you have a, a year to two years to finish the project. And the application is great because it's just, a. Uh, I think it's 120 words about the project or something like that. Mm. Um, And that's like the, it's a great application because you can just like hone your skills and make a really beautiful application and just kind of submit it. And so, yeah. So those are the things that I have coming up. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can, I'm currently, I've uh, deleted the app from my phone because uh, yeah, right, like right when I right when we were making the call and I, I know, couldn't I'm find so you. Sorry. <laughs> I just like, you know what it is? It's with like COVID. Um, I've had some, I already have an autoimmune disorder. And then I also had, uh, another health issue pop up that I'm currently dealing with. Uh-huh. And then the protests and like all these images of like black bodies being yeah. like, uh, brutalized and all this stuff. I was like, and then, and then, and then on top of that, you have people like sending you messages like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, and I don't know if you have the same thing happen with you when like these types of things happen, but like being like, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm in solidarity with you yeah, that's as exhausting. I understand as a white ally, you know, these images in these emails and like, and messages. And as much as like, I understand the intention behind them. I don't think people realize like if you're a very public facing person or just in general, you have a lot of friends and people you're, I got multiple messages like that from multiple white people every day last week. Right. And as much as it's supposed to be like comforting to me, it's actually like feeling like you're being like punched in the face with these images every day when you're getting these messages off and on. And then people reposting like images of these people being brutalized and actually dying on camera or like, um, images of these protests and like people being tear gassed and me being somebody with an, an autoimmune disorder Um, and this ailment that's making it hard for me to walk for long periods of time, I couldn't go to protests, but all my friends and family are in protests around the country. And I'm just watching like images of people being tear gassed that are being like shared by people all day. And as much as like, I know people are sharing it for like knowledge and helping people understand for someone like me, it just was kind of traumatizing me over and over and over again. So Instagram and Facebook were both deleted and removed and I'm not really checking them. I'm checking Instagram like 
on the browser. So like, it's not as fun to scroll through the browser. Mm -hmm. And so I'm finding that I like check Instagram and then just like log off again pretty quickly. Um, But you can follow me on Instagram. I post my dog and images and things that I'm working on all the time. And it's um, Aroba, (laughs) L-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-M-I-S-A. And that's the same on Twitter. Um, And my website is michellelisap.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-I-S-A-P.com. Um, and that's like where you really get to see updates on like work that I'm actually doing on the day to day, um, that I'm actually like, or not in the day to day, but like that I actually like, um, I'm also going to be putting like an upcoming events page on there soon. Cause I used to have it on my website and when I transferred over to cargo collective, I didn't like any of the ones that I was putting together. So I didn't ever put one back on. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, but that's kind of what I have going on right now. Cool. Well, it yeah. was a pleasure to talk to you. It made me think a lot about cameras. I actually have a drawer <laughs> full that I, I'm definitely going to, I'm itching to go check out. Yes. I have some digital that. ones that I don't, I, I just need like a charger for and stuff that. Oh yeah. They're so, they're available all over eBay. Yeah. All right. Or if you ever go to Mexico City, there's, so, have you ever been to Mexico City? No. I definitely okay. want to go though. There's an entire street in Mexico City that's like photography only. It's like your, um, your, your Nirvana. I went, I spent hours there eating an elote, <laughs> just walking around and not only like taking pictures of things, but just like being the happiest being I've ever been in my entire life. There was like a camera store that I shit you not, three walls of just cameras stacked next to each other. Hello. So beautiful. Sorry. Also, a beautiful city. No, oh, did you uh, lose me? Yeah. I think that my computer is like a little overwhelmed. I want to save this before it crashes. Oh yeah. Okay. So it was lovely talking to you. It was lovely talking to you too. Uh, But uh, yeah, uh, I definitely will invite you back on at some point. Cool. Awesome. Sounds fun. Bye. All right. You have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye.